Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. My very good friend, uh, Jace Hunt, is resplendent in a kind of red and white hooped t-shirt, Jace. That's a bit of a a, a young look you're trying to pull off. (laughs) It's called a Breton. Is it really? I thought they were blue. Well, they do them in red as well. Breton off, I think, would probably be uh, better. (laughs) Breton off. (laughs) Sorry, that's my first contribution to the podcast. I do apologise. It's over. I'm not going to say who you are. We'll still make that a surprise. (laughs) So how are you, Jace? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. Cool. Cool. I was just telling you, I had some really good news yesterday uh, from my other job, the uni thing. Um, My course was rated the top course at uh, Bin Birmingham, so I'm delighted with that news. Thanks. Brilliant news. I think really superb news. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And and our guest, who's managed, who's very kindly got up at the crack of dawn to come and do uh, come and do the uh, the episode with us, is Chris Book. Chris, good morning. How are you? Not so well. I didn't know there were two nine o'clocks in a day prior to this. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll pay for this at some point. But, uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, yeah. I'm good. Thank you. Cool. That's and I was I was going to introduce you, but how would you want to be introduced? Well, it says on his website, musician. Nature's occupation for the otherwise unemployable, which I thought was the perfect description. It's fairly accurate, isn't it? If nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! And and you're? Am I right in saying you're 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 stupidly young? You're in your mid to late twenties, aren't you? I've just ticked over the wrong side of thirty. Have a you? Months ago, yeah. So it's all downhill from here, isn't it? Jesus, you're baby-faced for 30. <laughs> no, I know. If I can, I'll be able to grow some facial hair one day and I'll actually look my age and won't get ID'd when I, I try to buy I was just saying you must still get ID'd. Oh, man, all the time. For, oh. for, for things you don't even, even need to get ID'd for. <laughs> That's awful for a musician to still get ID'd. <laughs> the last time I got ID'd was about 10 years ago, so I would have been well into my 40s at this point. And I was at LAX airport waiting to catch the flight home from Nam. And ordered a beer, and they said, "Have you got any ID, sir?" Mm. And I said, "Isn't the grey hair enough?" Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, "No." Especially, we need to see you. especially after a week of now. <laughs> yeah. Adds fifteen years instantly, <laughs> doesn't it? When you when you go to those self checkouts in 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 the supermarket, and you're buying alcohol, and obviously the light goes on, and they have to come and they have to come and okay it, and on the options on the screen, uh, there's the kind of "Have you asked for ID?" and this, and there's one that is obviously over 25 and the number of times they come across just one glance at me and just go straight for the obviously over 20 it's really quite disconcerting (laughs) anyway back to chris yes back to chris so musician musician and i think uh you could clearly say youtuber Hundred thirty-seven thousand followers on youtube (laughs) you're more up to date with it on than i am so (laughs) Oh, you've got, you must have a plaque then. Don't they send you a plaque at 100,000? Yeah, they did at 100,000. Um, proudly displayed in my downstairs toilet. Um, yeah. No, it, yeah, YouTube. I mean, YouTube is a funny thing in that it's instantly got that kind of negative connotation attached to it, unfortunately. But it's um, the YouTube thing came about. I just was bored, quite frankly. 
um, and you know, just feeling a little bit frustrated, I guess, at the pace that, not the pace at which the band I was in was kind of moving at, so much as wanting to dictate my own kind of trajectory a little bit more, you know, and thinking, well, what can I do just that is solely reliant on myself to sort of try and dictate the pace at which I move at? And YouTube seemed like an obvious option, so I remember the first episode of Friday Fretworks, which is the thing I do, um, I remember saying to camera, I'm going to do this once a week with absolutely zero intention of ever doing it once a week. Um, <laughs> it was kind of half just to kind of goad myself into it, if nothing else. And um, like two and a half, three years later, here I am still pumping out some nonsense every week. So, um, yes, this the YouTube thing, this the, the band thing or whatever, it's whatever it takes to get by these days as a musician, really, isn't it? So I've not resorted to selling my body on the street yet, so... Well, I suppose we should probably start with Fretworks then, as you've talked about it. And, and I mean, they start, it started off sort of like very much just you and your gear, but now you seem to get like tons of gear come through. <laughs> um, I mean, is there like a constant sort of like UPS delivery service to your front door from the manufacturers? Near enough, much to uh, my wife's frustration. Because um, <laughs> most of it just seems to accumulate then in my garage. Um, yeah, it's it's a funny one. The... The kind of the thing I've always been quite conscious of with Friday Fretworks, I guess, is that there are so many guys out there who do incredible jobs of the whole kind of gear review thing. Yeah. You know, Pete Thorne, Rabia, all these guys who that's their job, you know. And I'm just not as good at it. I can't be asked to put the effort into the kind of the, the gear review <laughs> side of things, to be honest. So I've always tried to make it a little bit more kind of, I don't know. Um, wide range, I guess, more subjects as opposed to here's this new pedal, here's this new amp, have a listen to it. Of course, then you try and find ways to wangle a new amp or a new pedal into something, but I'll try and make it a little bit more kind of wide ranging as opposed to something, oh, this is this new specific thing, you know. And I think that's been kind of bit out, I guess, in the the sort of response I get. I think people have those guys that they go to for those things you know so if there's another guy suddenly doing it exactly the same and I remember the first time I realized that it was just you get a company approach you and say can you do this video um, about this item this product and then it can it be released on this day and naively I think cool I'm getting a bit of an exclusive here and then of course the moment that goes up 55 other videos go up all about the same product because they've sent it out to any number of guys and then suddenly you're thinking, well, why why would anyone watch my video over guys that they know and they love and they watch frequently anyway? So I thought, well, let's kind of tame the product side of things a little bit and focus more on, you know, like I said, kind of concepts, I guess, as opposed to specifics. But um, it's just, honestly, the difficulty with YouTube is just finding something to talk about every week. You'll go through periods where I'm not short of an idea, and then you'll go through periods where it's just barren for want of a better phrase and you're, kind of, you're, you're scratching around every week to try and find something to sort of whistle on about for half hour so um yeah it's uh it's a hell of a commitment but um yeah as i've been reminded it's hardly digging coal is it so i put up really shut up <laughs> yeah i mean i it was it was really noticeable when fender released um oh i can't remember what it's called that acoustic strat oh the acoustasonic the, yeah yeah Sonic, and like youtube was just full of it you know, not even people I follow, but because of my search history in the past of, yeah. of, on that day. And it was like, I think someone in the marketing department thought that that would be a really good idea. Mm. But ultimately, you just go, oh, it's another fucking video of that it, it all, Sonic thing. It all, it, it's 
very easy to sort of reach saturation point very quickly in there, you know. And I yeah. think it's it's testament to reasons that huge artists, you know, like I don't know, Ed Sheeran off the top of my head, I think make a very concerted effort at at a certain point after a cycle. I think their time off is not so much just because they feel like they've deserved it so much as well, I think everyone's probably sick of seeing my face and hearing my name for a little while. Let's have a palate cleanser, let's go away and leave it until things are a little bit fresh and I can come back, you know, and I think that's kind of, you know, people can be guilty of that with YouTube as well, is that it's just, it's a very, I mean, it's an insanely easy marketing tool, isn't it? You know, it's kind of for the price of a video that you pay YouTube or whatever, think of the reach that you get. I mean, I know people who don't have TV licenses anymore. They just watch Netflix and YouTube. So you think, well, for the money that you would probably spend on a TV advert that might reach a couple of million people, 1% of which would be interested. Mm. If you can get these videos out to guys who are making dedicated guitar videos every week, then suddenly they're going to have a switched-on engaged audience who are going to want to hear about something guitar-related. So it seems like a no-brainer for companies, I guess. But like you said, it, it's very easy to sort of reach saturation point very quickly with that sort of stuff. I think part of the problem there is that um, at the beginning, when it was happening, when it was happening naturally, uh, almost accidentally, um, mm. to a certain extent, because you might get people taking a new product and actually making the decision to review it themselves with no support from the brand, and and then it be, and then of course the brands look at it and go, oh, actually that's quite interesting. We see we see traction from this, and then of course they overplan it, they overplay it, you know. To the point yeah. now where you kind of look at something and go, well, if I'm seeing 10, 12 videos of that on the same day... It's clearly not organic. <laughs> yeah, well, A, it's not organic, and B, they look like they're a bit desperate. Is the product just a bit shit? Um, you know. Like you said, I think, to start off with at least, I guess, the, the kind of the peak of YouTube, I guess, as a as a kind of major way of making money. Obviously, there's people like Rob Chapman that very, very much sort of came to the fore on the crest mm. of that wave, I guess, you know. And I mean, irrespective of what people think of Rob Chapman, you know, obviously was very much at that kind of the crest of that YouTube wave, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And, you know, I think it very much, it's such a new platform, as is the internet, you know, it's all so new, we kind of forget that, that I think it takes its time to find its feet sometimes. And like you said, companies see what is otherwise quite an organic method of advertising products and think, well, let's leap on that, you know, and then suddenly it becomes very orchestrated and it, it becomes a little bit contrived. And I think uh, the one thing I've learned, I think, through YouTube is that the, the kind of buying public or your audience or whoever is watching a video for whatever reason is very receptive to that sort of stuff and very switched on to if they perceive something to be a little bit sort of underhand or a little mm. bit sort of, well, this is just an advert, you know, and I think people are very receptive to that and very sort of aware of it. So I think you just got to be careful. Mm. So um, your guitar rig crisis... Has that yeah. been so sorted now? <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is part of the thing, isn't it? I've, I get so much grief every now and then for for the kind of clickbait thing. And I, firstly, I hate doing it. I'll be the first to say that. But <laughs> if I could have called that video, um, I'm thinking of moving to a smaller amp. <laughs> I would have because I was talking about this with my wife recently, and she hates it because she's she's a scientist, so obviously has a very analytical, very scientific brain, and she's like. Well, it's just, it's not neatly kind of organised. No, but if someone's looking for, if someone's having a similar situation where they want to move from a high headroom, high loud wattage amp down to a smaller amp, where are they going to find that in the library? It's not archived under the correct position because you've given it some bullshit title like my guitar in crisis. I was like, trust me, I know. I wish I could just label them accurately, but then no bugger would watch them. And it's, you know, every, every now and then I do get a bit of grief on that. And it's, it's always the same response of, 
you know, don't hate the player, hate the game, you know. Unfortunately, YouTube, for whatever reason, rewards that sort of kind of slightly provocative clickbaity angle that people go down. And as long as it rewards that and more people watch it and you get paid more for your video, then it doesn't really give you much incentive to not do that, really. Um, it's just, it's a sort of um, self-fulfilling prophecy, really, in that it's, like I said, I wish I could just call the videos what I want to call them, and which is more factually accurate to the content, I guess. But then, like I said, nobody would actually watch it. So, <laughs> so are you moving to a smaller amp? Yeah, I think. I'm, it's funny, I've spent donkey's years at this point chasing that sort of high headroom loud clean power that kind of thing you know mm. and i think because i convinced myself that that was what i wanted and you know gone through a succession of amps and kind of settled in on a couple that i like or that at least i think i like um that do that thing very well and don't get me wrong i still love that sound and after three weeks of of using this little pro reverb thing that i've been using the, the new fender amp i might go back to my old setup you know and there might be certain aspects of that that i'm missing but the one thing i've always had slight reservations about with that live loud clean headroom setup is that if you're having a bad night you know you're having a bad night there's absolutely no way to hide if you've got headroom for days it every little nuance and every little subtlety for better or worse comes through you know and if you're having a great night, then that's fantastic because it only amplifies that sort of subtlety. If you're having a bad night, it amplifies you having feet for hands, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, but don't you find that that's all... It's kind of... A, a lot of the time, I think, I, thinking back from when I used to gig, was it was all it was all in my head. Every time we'd come off stage and go, God, we were awful tonight. Yeah, yeah. You'd walk out the front and people go, that's the best I've ever seen you play. And, and, com like, and conversely, really? when you think you're having a great night and then no bugger claps and then comes up to you at the end of the gig and goes, that was amazing. And you're like, oh, cheers. Thanks for clapping. Um, we've all played those gigs in the dog and duck over the years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny, kind of went through a phase of sort of recording gigs that I was playing just on my phone, you know, sticking my phone somewhere yeah. and then using it as a tool to kind of listen back almost from a kind of semi-analytical sort of perspective i guess just to listen to stuff that maybe i was over reliant on or stuff that i was doing that i thought sounded great at the time but maybe didn't sound so good and like you said nine times out of ten if you feel like you've had an absolute shitter of an evening it wasn't as bad as you thought it was um and it's it's the same as anything isn't it you know like i played a hell of a lot of sport before i became a doly musician bum so it's something i can easily equate it to <laughs> if if you're having a bad game irrespective of the sport you work a little bit harder to push yourself through it you know and it's mm. the same with guitar if i feel like i'm having a bad night i'll just play a little bit harder i'll dig in a little bit harder to try and make sure i'm through it you know um so yeah i've no doubt a massive percentage of that is in my head but having been fiddling around with that pro reverb recently um just love that sort of not only the kind of less headroom i guess and that sort of um just revealing horribleness of all the headroom in the world but just slight sponginess under the fingers of like a lower water jump um and just it's a great sound amp anyway i might change the speaker at some point because it's got one of those new um neodymium lightweight yeah, speakers yeah. in it which is great for my back but i think i might stick an ev in there or something which at that point you've got a question well am i really downsizing or am i just moving it into a smaller box um smaller heavier box but um yes is the long answer um and um yes is the shorter answer to my guess our <laughs> crisis being being fixed or at least sorted for the time being anyway until next week's video
um, I suppose we should kind of like get on to you know the, the playing because you've got two bands at the moment, mm. haven't you? So uh, I'm assuming you're still in Buck and Evans. Yeah, it's, I get a lot of questions about that. Understandably so, I guess, since Cardinal Black launched. Um, I mean, funny enough, a global pandemic seems to give one quite a lot of time on their hands to do stuff. Um, so, you know, there's absolutely no reason that the two bands can't run entirely parallel. I mean, we've never gigged a hell of a lot with Buck and Evans anyway, um, just by the nature of the band. You know, I'm the only one in the band that is a kind of quote-unquote professional musician. All of the other guys have day gigs. To be honest, that's pretty much every other band in the land does these days, especially in, in light of the last 18 months or so, you know. Um, so, yeah, there was always just a kind of limit to it as much as we could tour or as much as we could do with that band. Um, so it just made sense, you know. The Cardinal Black thing, weirdly, that was actually a band that has its kind of genesis probably about a decade ago. That was the first proper band I was ever in, was Cardinal Black. At the time, it was called the Tom Hollister Trio. Was the singer in the band it sounds like a very egotistical move on his part but it was his university project basically it was his final kind of degree piece uh, piece rather was to put together put together a band record an ep and launch said band and then that was it and out of the blue um steve winwood showed up at the ep launch loved it had a quick chat to us and said oh you know if you're ever in my neck of the woods pop by you know i've got this studio which he's built to his own spec and we're like yeah great monday then it is so um yeah see see, see you at nine o'clock so um we kind of invited ourselves along really and the, the band kind of snowballed off the back of that and i guess we had we had a very busy sort of year and a half as that band and then the usual sort of bullshit creative differences you know sleeping with each other's wives all that kind of stuff um not really um just trying to make it much more interesting um <laughs> Just yeah, we we split up and but we kind of remained friends, you know, for the for the last ten years. We've done quite a lot of musical stuff together, whether it's like the odd wedding year and there or whatever, you know, the, the usual shit everyone does. Um, and just the pandemic, everyone suddenly having a kind of clean schedule for for the foreseeable. It just made sense to get together and if the at the very least let's start rehashing through those. 20 songs that we wrote 10 years ago and then as soon as you start doing that well lo and behold some new songs come out of the woodwork so um so it all it snowballed very quickly you know and it's been been about two and a half months i think since we launched the band the first track went to the top of the bloody itunes rock charts much to all of our amazement and that kind of set the tone really as to where it was sort of going to go from there so it's been a, a hectic two months to say the least and um yeah our, our ep is actually out today for those listeners so yes oh it was because I was on the website and I was reading the about section, and mm. it, I think well, it, certainly in the first sentence is kind of kind of. I think it says you know formed ten years ago alt rock band, and I was thinking oh okay, and then you listen to it and you go this isn't alt rock at all. This is very <laughs> sort of soulful rock. This you is know. we had no idea what to call ourselves. Someone else suggested alt rock, and I was like yeah that sounds cool. Sounds like I might have a degree. Um, so um, we went with alt rock. I don't know what alt rock means to be honest. Um, I, I play guitar. I listen to the stuff I listen to. We've got fairly wide ranging influences between the band. I guess like Tom the singer is a huge like James Taylor fan, John Martin, Paul Simon, that kind of you know kind of classic sort of songwriter angle. Um, obviously, I've come up through the guitar school. Adam the drummer is a big Motown fan. So as long as I knew him back in the day, he was in different soul bands. Um, and yeah, it's just a fairly wide range of influences within the band, which then I guess makes it a little bit hard to kind of pin it down. And I guess alt rock maybe made us sound slightly more specific than oh, you're a rock band. Does that mean you sound like the Foo Fighters or you sound like Cradle of Filth? You know what? What does that mean? So, um, 
Yeah. So, so where where did you? You say you went to guitar school. Which one did you go to? Oh, I didn't go to guitar school. I, I did a year at a university which has since closed, which probably tells you the quality of the establishment. Um, it which was you. Yeah, University of South Wales, um, which um, its rating is currently down at about 40,000, I think, out of the 100 or so unis there are in the UK. Um, no, it's closed, actually. Um, and the, the best thing that it's done in recent years was provide the set for Netflix uh, sex education with Gillian Anderson. <laughs> um, so, um, honestly, I, I didn't want to go to uni. I Very early on, this is the curse, I guess, of finding something like the guitar where you have this compulsion and this conviction then of that's what I'm going to do with my life and nobody else can tell me otherwise. The only other thing I was even vaguely interested in school, apart from sport, but I was never anywhere good enough to be looking at that as a career. Um, I liked liked English. I was pretty good at English. I kind of breezed through my sort of English lit language at GCSE and then at A-level as well. So I guess there was a a brief sort of... um, yeah, dalliance with the idea of being a, a journalist or something. But again, it just nothing came near to that love I suddenly felt for guitar once I found that. And once I realised I was okay at it as well, I guess. Everything else that I'd done in my life to that point, you know, hobbies or whatever, it always felt like a little bit of an effort. I wasn't very good at anything, you know. I put a great deal of effort in to be as good as the guy next door. Mm. Whereas with guitar, it was suddenly a case of, well, this feels like it comes relatively naturally. That makes sense. If I put that chord next to that chord, that sounds good. Away we go, you know? Um, So I knew very early on that I wanted to be a guitar player, which is both amazing and the worst thing in the world if you want to get any GCSEs, because suddenly that became all I ever wanted to do, you know? So any time that was meant to be spent revising was suddenly spent sort of dicking around on the guitar. Um, And that very quickly made the decision for me that, well, I can't really see what a university is going to offer me, really. There's no... Like, my parents, to their eternal credit, both of which came from slightly more kind of quote-unquote normal backgrounds, both were very receptive to the idea of, okay, well, he's going to be a musician. Nobody knows what that entails. There's not really anything... There's not like a kind of 12-step thing you can do and then at the end of it, you're a rock star. It's all kind of reliant on how good you are and if, if you get a lucky break, who you know, who you meet, who you bump into, whatever. But both of them, their, their eternal credit, were just like, yeah, go for it if you love it. Do it, and if you need help, we'll be there to help, you know, and if if not, more power to you. Um, But when the time came to it, when I was 17 or whatever, and I just finished my A-levels, it was a case of, right, well, now you either go to uni or you get a job. So, right, I'll go to uni then. Um, So I... But, like I said, I I knew from about probably the age of 14 onwards that I had no interest in uni, really. So I went for for a year to do a music degree, um, hated every second of it, um, and just sort of spent an increasing amount of time. That was around about the time of the, the trio, the Tom Oliver trio, my kind of first bona fide band, I guess, starting to get a little bit of traction. And I remember on the day it came to the last day of term um, in uni for my first year, we found out that we were doing a BBC session and we we were playing at um, Solosphere Festival. And it was like, that kind of feels like the universe is telling me that's probably where you want to go rather than kind of spending, I don't know, however many grand or what year it was to do a to a degree that I wasn't interested in. So that made my decision for me. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I don't regret university. There's nothing to regret, really. But, you know, I met, bizarrely, the one person I met who I'm still really good mates with at uni is a guy called Chris Watkins, who was there doing a music degree, but also at the time started kind of fiddling about with cameras, just because that was something else he found that he enjoyed. 
and he's now an incredible videographer who shoots everything pretty much of any level that I ever do, you know, and that's that's a contact I made through uni. So if nothing else, it was worth paying four grand just to go meet a video guy. So <laughs> you've probably saved that money over many times. Oh yeah. You... <laughs> I still, I still, yeah, I still haven't paid my student loan back though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Am, am I right in thinking that after uni you moved to Birmingham? Is that right? Kind of, yeah. So my, my wife was working at um, uh, Birmingham University for a very long time. So I was spending pretty much all week sort of bumbling about, again, in the sort of my equivalent of John Lennon's Lost Years, really, or the Lost Weekend or whatever it was, where I just didn't quite know what I was doing. The trio would split up um, and it kind of left me with a sense of, well... You know, my my name wasn't on the band. There was a bit of noise about me as a guitar player, but that soon dissipates as soon as the band that you're in splits up and nobody knows where to listen to you anymore. Um, so I was like, well, what do I do now? You know, and that was around about that time I made a very conscious decision to start building this idea of me as a brand. I guess you know, I'm this guy who plays guitar, and okay, I may be in bands as well, but I, you know, Chris Buck is the kind of name that you hopefully want to listen to. Um, and that was when my wife was in Birmingham University, so I was bouncing up and down the M5, you know, once or twice a week, um, living in Sturchley. So, yeah, I really miss Birmingham. Um, she's, the, I guess, the life she lives as being a scientist is fairly nomadic, you know, kind of bouncing around from place to place. And of all the places we've lived, or in France, or in Glasgow, or wherever, um, yeah, Birmingham, I, I do miss, so... Oh, bless you. Well, you know, you get to come back every year, don't you, to the guitar show? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not missing enough to stay, mate, but no, I do miss it. <laughs> so, um, you would, I, was, I was reading that there's some kind of connection with um, Alan Niven, um, mm. who was Guns N' Roses and then subsequently Izzy Stradlin's manager. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, how did that? Bizarrely, YouTube. Um, so the, the kind of... Uh, the forerunner, I guess, of me doing YouTube more recently was I started uploading videos of myself to YouTube when I was about 16, I guess. Just me in my bedroom with a camera that I'd stuck on top of my desk, just playing along to whatever it was that I was listening to at the time, you know. So growing up, huge Guns N' Roses fan, Deep Purple, Bowie, ACDC, whatever, you know, all the kind of usual suspects. Um, and out of the blue, Alan, from his um, house in the Arizona desert, came across me. Um and just sent me a kind of really curt one-line message of like, you're not bad, keep it up. And, <laughs> and obviously, being the huge Guns N' Roses fan that I was, I knew his name. I'd read, you know, voraciously read every kind of biography or any book about Guns N' Roses that I'd get my hands on. Um, so I very much knew his name and the, the sort of pivotal role that he played in their career. So I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I'm going to badger you every second of every day asking you advice to like what was slash like you know all this kind of stuff and alan to his eternal credit um didn't tell me to fuck off so um <laughs> so I, I guess a couple of years passed then and then when the trio got going it kind of made sense for him to say at the very least well let's let me try managing you, you know there's going to be this this gulf of five thousand miles between us and i've never managed a band from the other side of the world before but hey ho the world's getting smaller let's give it a go um, and I think in hindsight, we were just a little bit young and naive. And I guess we wanted that sort of immediacy of having someone kind of on top of us every day, I guess, telling us what to do, you know, to make sure mm. we main, maintain this kind of focus. Um, but once that split up then, and then when, when Buck and Evans got going again, Alan just offered, said, look, 
no obligation, but if you want me to manage you guys, I'll try and point you in the right direction and set up a couple of connections. Um, so yeah, Alan, he's not managing it. He took a back step about a year or two ago, but just for someone who's had such an incredible wealth of experience and such a, you know, kind of experience of working at the highest level in the industry. I mean, when he took over Guns N' Roses, they were a kind of ramshackle sunset strip band, you know, struggling to pull in 30, 40 people. And then I think one of the last gigs he ever did with them was Wembley Stadium, um, you know, four years later or whatever. Yeah. So that, that stratospheric rise, you know, he was very much at the helm during that period. And obviously he's been there, done it and got the T-shirt and, and lived a life because of it, you know. So just to have someone, you know, as much as he was our manager for a, for a very long period, I think the way I always thought of Alan was more as this kind of Yoda character, I guess, of, you know, let's... You know, maybe the person to try and pull the reins in a little bit when I was getting a little bit excited and running away with myself. I think the the prime example being I played with Slash in 2012, and you know, totally unbeknownst to me, Alan had kind of been drip feeding stuff of mine to Slash for a very long time prior to that. And of course, when I got wind of that then, and there was this like remote possibility of one day playing with my hero, I was like, right, cool, let's do it tomorrow. And Alan was the guy going, no, you're not ready. And of course, you don't know what that means when you're 18, 19. So, of course, I'm ready. I know my pentatonics. I'm ready now. Let's do it. And, you know, in hindsight, it was his way of saying, find your feet a little bit. Become your own player a little bit more. Because if I was 18-year-old me getting up on stage with Slash, I would have been trying to out Slash Slash, you know. Would have been there with the sort of big hair and the Les Paul and the, the kind of Marshall stack or whatever. And it was Alan that was very much thinking, well, no, let's... Try and find your feet a little bit more. Maybe pick up Strat, you know. You might find your own voice through a Strat a little bit more. And he was very much pivotal in guiding me through that kind of process and those decisions, I guess. And then when he finally felt like the time was right, then the call happened, you know. Um, so, yeah, Alan being, you know, it's impossible to overstate his importance, really, for everything I've done thus far. And genuinely wouldn't have got anywhere near as far as I've got today without his guidance. So That's really interesting because I think, in terms of finding who you are as a guitarist, I think you've got a really unique kind of way of playing. I mean, there's a lot of... Oh, thank you. you with, your ha with your... You don't use a plectrum as, as much... I, I only use mm. a plectrum, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's... It, I don't know whether you become slightly more expressive when you're kind of... I suppose you're using both hands, aren't you? Whereas I'm just yeah. kind of going up and down sort well, of thing. That's the thing. That's the thing that people forget, I guess, is that you are using both hands, or at least you're meant to be. And it's very much the kind of the relationship, that kind of symbiosis between your two hands, not just the case of, well, this is happening. This is doing, you know, hammering away with my right. And then it's the left hand that's doing all the intricate stuff. And, you know, as much as I can sort of say that and make it sound like it was a considered conscious thought process, it wasn't. It was just, I genuinely think the, the play with my fingers thing was just born out of noodling around on the sofa in the house, dropping your pick, it disappearing into that abyss that is occupied by picks and pen lids. Um, and just not being asked to get off the sofa and get another plectrum. So just thinking, well, I'll just play with my fingers and then getting progressively better at that. And then after a time, that kind of worked its way into my technique, you know, where I kind of tuck the pick away and then maybe use my thumb and my second and my ring finger. And I guess the sort of the serendipity of that then is it makes you more expressive. It makes you more, gives you more control and more freedom over what, you, what you're trying to say and how you're trying to say it. So you can kind of do the, the cliched whisper to a scream thing very easily, you know, if I'm playing with my fingers, it's going to sound dark and soft and fleshy. If I'm digging in with a pick, you can kind of go full Stevie Ray if you want to, you know. So this, it gives you a little bit more night and shade, I guess. And like I said, I'm, as much as I could claim that was a, a conscious thing, it's just something that's crept into my playing and developed over the years, you know. And the wider range of stuff I listen to then, the more influences I'm exposed to, you know, 
dynamic range is where it's at for me. It always has been. You know, that's how you express yourself best is when you can play. You know, from like I said, whisper or scream, I guess, and fingers and pick allow me to do that. At least I feel they do anyway. I suppose, and then it comes on to I suppose the 2019 best new guitarist in the world award, <laughs> and it's like. Speaking I mean, of clickbait, how on earth though do you kind of how do you deal with that sort of pressure? Just started signing photos instantly um, <laughs> and sending them out to people who hadn't asked for them. Um, I, honestly, stuff like that is a is a bit mad, really. Um, and still, you know, kind of if I I don't know if I try and process something like that, um, it's like Paul McCartney. I remember reading a quote, you know, of if, if Paul McCartney focused on the fact that he was Paul McCartney his head would probably explode, you know? And uh, obviously not to compare myself to that in any way, shape or form, but I don't think you can dwell on such like hyperbole for any amount of time because it's not healthy, you know? It's not it's not healthy Are you developing as a musician or moving forward or having any sort of sense of progression because it's, I guess, you know, it would be easy to look at that and think, well, I'm at the top of the mountain, you know? What are all you idiots doing down there, you know? Um, and obviously that's not the case. It's just, you know, it's the way the internet moves these days. Like I said earlier, it's a bit of hyperbole. It's a bit of clickbait to draw people in. Let's give it an absolutely ludicrous title because we know that'll divide opinion and it'll get people talking and it'll generate interaction and, you know, whatever. And then it just so happened to me, me that was at the kind of the head of all that, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, you know, as, as much as I can kind of downplay or denigrate stuff like that, it would be absolutely naive of me to, you know, I'm kind of falsely modest to say that had no impact on my career. Of course it does. It makes people pay attention, you know. The fact that I'm kind of like a Fender artist, whatever that means, where people see me going out and doing stuff with Fender, it's like, oh, well, I know, even if you're not a musician, I know the name Fender, you know. Well, he must be okay then, you know, and that's what that did for my career, I guess. And then off the back of that, inevitably start getting calls off, um, like ITV Wales and BBC Wales, can you come down and be on the TV? Can you do an interview on the radio? And um, I remember getting an email off ITV Wales saying, do you want to come and be on the news at six? I was like, if no other reason, <laughs> other than I can ring my nan and go, look, nan, I'm on the telly. Um, I was like, absolutely. So then I had a couple of emails bouncing back and forth with the producer, who, bless him, clearly had no concept of you know, what it meant to be a musician. And he's, I remember his email, his first email saying, can you play something impressive? I was like, all right, I'll figure, I'll figure something out. And then his next email was, can you play Sweet Child of Mine? <laughs> I was like, I can, but I'm not playing it on the news. And he really wasn't getting it. He was like, well, I just think I'll blow people's minds. I was like, well, no, it, it would blow your mind. And um, in the end, I just lied. I was like, I don't, I don't know it. <laughs> as, as the person who had a, a Les Paul and a Marshall stack and back home is here with an inch of his life to look like Slash. Of course I don't know Switch on the Mind. Um, so, um, yeah, it was just a bit of a mad period. And then uh, like more recently than that, again, Music Radar ran that best blues guitarist poll, which again, somehow I came out on top of. So it's just, I don't know, it, it is what it is, you know. It would be falsely modest of me to say I didn't publicise that on my social media. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I wasn't kind of rallying round mates to vote for me or whatever. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, be honest, though. You're in a house with a scientist. Have you ever been having an argument and gone, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might be a scientist, but I'm the best new guitarist uh, in the world. Are you the best new scientist in the world? No, I think not. Um, yeah, no, it comes down if I want to throw my weight around in the in the house. But um, suffice to say, that stopped working about 15 minutes after the thing was announced. So, oh the... man, I'd have t-shirts with it on and everything. <laughs> you see, you see, I wouldn't. I've all, I'd already played that one through and thought if I was relying on that to help me win arguments in the house, I've already lost. <laughs> I, I've, I've already lost, uh, so I, 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 I probably, uh, I, I, I'd probably go with you, Chris. I'd probably keep, keep it on the low. I reckon. Did, did, did oh, you get man. a plaque? Did the music radar send you a plaque that you could put next to your YouTube thing in the toilet? They didn't. I just had it tattooed on my forehead instead. So <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it's bizarre, isn't it? So oh, I, I was going to ask because you, I was I was glan- trying to glance at the brand on your t-shirt. Oh yeah, uh, but I was oh. I was going to ask you about the pickups because mm. um, you've got some. Are they strap pickups? Signature strap. Pickups? Yes, they are. Yes. So um, Radio Shop, the company on my t-shirt here, is a, a kind of two-man little, a two-man one-man band. I was going to say that that doesn't quite make sense. Every it? pickup company um, is a two-man one-man band. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in South Wales and got in touch with me a very long time ago actually I think as soon as I started making any degree of noise and just sent me an email saying oh you know love what you're doing do you want to try some of our pickups so over I went I had absolutely zero idea I of course knew what pickups were but as to what their role was in a guitar's tone I had very little idea to be honest if it works it works and that's I'm kind of happy with that to be honest um, so I spent a day sort of being shown around their workshop and them showing me different windings, different sort of um, materials, you know, how this affects this and how that affects that. Um, and at the end of it, they said, right, well, let's make you something. What, what do you want? So, of course, you descend into a world of sort of vague superlatives then of words like creamy and all this kind of nonsense. Um, so it just I started using their pickups then. I loved what I was hearing, you know, kind of it seemed like a marked improvement on what I was using at the time, which was just what was ever was stock in whatever guitar I was playing. Um, and fast forward then, I guess about two, three years or whatever, it felt like a natural sort of progression of like, well, let's do a signature thing, you know. And that was the first time my name had ever been associated with anything, you know, or even kind of mentioned in the same breath as like, well, let's do something with your name on it. Um, so we spent a good couple of months then developing them and it's just, I think it's done very well. It's done very well for everyone, I guess, hopefully at the end of the day. But, you know, I think at the time, both of them were still kind of wrestling that sort of, um, balance of like day job versus winding pickups by night, you know? Um, and I think it was sort of helpful in getting them to that point where it just made sense of like, oh, we're just pickup guys now. That's what we do. I can jack my job in. Um, so hopefully it's, it's done well for everyone, you know, they get great reviews whenever they're featured in guitar magazines or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's always slightly nerve-wracking putting something out like that, because you think, well, I like the sound of them, but that's not to say any other bugger will, um, but they've been really well received, you know, and like I said, any time a guitar magazine reviews them, or any time they're mentioning the same breath as, you know, considerably bigger pickup brands, very favourably, so it's, yes, it is what it is, and it's, I love them bits, you know, I love, I love Paul and, well, both Pauls they're called, ironically, um, and they're just great sounding pickups, you know, I can't say too much about it, because obviously it sounds like a bloody sales pitch, but um, if you're looking for some strap pickups, there are lots of strap pickups out there, including mine. <laughs> One th- they are really nice guys, though, and they came to the guitar show a couple of years ago, and they bought yeah, a winding machine and brand yeah. on site, which I thought was brilliant, because the first time I ever saw pickups being wound, I was like, Oh, 
That's yeah. how it's done. Well, I was Which, I was going to ask because the way you made it said about well, the, well, they're the out to work and then they wind pickups into the evening, and it, g- it gave me this yeah. kind of Victorian kind of vibe. Do they do it by <laughs> candlelight? By, by candlelight, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, it's it's all very. I mean, it's you know, it's weird, isn't it? In that, I remember I took grief recently um, for a video I did about a Clapton Strat saying that lace sensor pickups look slightly dated. And someone replies saying, oh, of course, well, the design from the 40s doesn't look dated at all, does it? And it's like, well, it doesn't really. But it is, it's such an old technology, isn't it? You know, the idea of, of pickups and how they work. And it's, you know, this continual sort of evolution to try and improve upon that or find new ways to sort of reinvent the wheel, I guess. But like you said, until until I physically saw them winding pickups, I had no idea what a pickup entailed. You know, it could have been a bloody SM57 underneath my scratch play for all I knew. Um, so yeah, watching them do it and realise how subtle changes they make as they go along then affect the tone. It's like, oh right, well that all suddenly makes sense. It's uh, it's still a bit of a dark art. So plus the other thing about that comment, and not that I'm having a go at the person who made that comment about uh, about something from the forties would look dated, but oh, have a have a go at them, please. Uh, well, the only thing is that if something comes out as new in your lifetime. And then mm. ages in your lifetime, it will look dated because when it came out, it looked very modern. If modern, something yeah. already looked of an age because it yeah. was, because you were born in 1980 and the and the pickup was designed in 1950, you don't view it in the same way. I remember no, seeing absolutely. the lace sensors when they came out thinking, wow, that's a, that's a cutting edge design. And of mm. course, that's going to date. Well, it's like buildings that started appearing, those concrete monstrosities, yes. you know, in the 60s and yes. 70s. It's like, well, I'm sure that looked kind of edge at one point, but now it just looks horrendously dated, you know. Just leave Birmingham alone. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said a word about that. Yeah. <laughs> a city built on concrete monstrosities. <laughs> well, it's those 60s videos, isn't it? Of, of it's all those Telly ones. Savalas yeah. and Clint Eastwood yeah. looking out over Birmingham Ring Road. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's... What is the story that I saw that a while ago? I was like, is that genuinely Birmingham? Yes, it's. I have no idea. I mean, the Telly Savalas one. I don't think Telly Savalas is actually. He's just been paid to voice over some video. Right. Um, and they must have paid a fortune because I mean, in the seventies, he was like a massive yeah, star. Huge. Oh yeah, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've, I mean, obviously someone in Birmingham's council went, I'd really like to go to Los Angeles to meet up, have a really important meeting with a Hollywood star. <laughs> no, you see, star. you don't know that. Telly Savalas might have been in L.A. saying, do you know what I want to do? I really want to go to the West, <laughs> to the West Midlands. That's where, I want, that's where I want to be. Is, does anybody know if there's any work going, you know, anything around Wolverhampton? <laughs> or he got an agent with a European arm. <laughs> And they just kind of like, mate, it's 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 like the Detroit of, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's car city. We've built this city that's just four cars. We're not foreseeing any issues with congestion in the future <laughs> at all. It would be a really good idea to do this. The good, the bad and the traffic calming measures. <laughs> and and oh, what's man. more, there's a shitload of crime you could clear up while you were there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, so, so I, I think I'd only got one more um, one more thing that I've, well actually no two things that I wanted to mm. just talk about one um, is a personal um, thing for me is how good is that Jason Isbell telly yeah very good <laughs> I noticed um, Mick from that pedal show put up a video about it the other day as well um, I think the problem with that is that 
guitar production has just sort of, you know, the demand has increased hugely in the pandemic mm. and sort of supply has gone down. So, yeah, unfortunately, when Fender sent me that, I was like, can I keep hold of it? And they were like, nope, sorry, you have the only one in the UK at present. I was like, oh, great. Um, yeah, very, very nice. I really like it. I would probably put a white pick guard on it, I think, for yes, just my kind of aesthetic thing. And it's got the white um selector knob on it as well so it's kind of like well either you need a black selector knob or you need a white pick guard that just kind of that mismatch throws my eye slightly um but yeah very very nice i love the the, the kind of relicking on it you know obviously a fairly divisive subject in the mm. guitar world um just feels very nice you know some of the custom shops i played where they take i think mick highlighted it the other day saying you know when they take all of the lacquer off the back of the neck it just feels a little bit artificial and they've done a a really nice halfway house job with the with the Jason Isabel tally. So um, yes, yeah, really nice guitar. If you can actually find one or get hold of one, give it give it a whirl. I, I find that uh, I find the, the how offended people get about relics really odd. I mean, I I, I really don't like blue guitars, right? Yeah, I, I don't um, like them at all. But I don't feel the need to tell people who do like blue guitars that why they, they are wrong that they like blue guitars. Yes. Yeah. It's bizarre. I mean, it is the kind of. I did a video on it recently, and I think I referred to it as the most sort of polarizing subject in the guitar world. I think it is because I've never met anyone who kind of. It's like the band Kiss. I've never met anyone who's gone. No, 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 no. No, I'm not going to say a negative thing. I've never met anyone who says, "Yeah, I quite like Kiss." It's either like, "No, I don't like Kiss," or I own every bootleg. Kiss ever there we go. <laughs> I found I found my man, um, and actually, actually I, I say that I'm probably the exception to that rule. A couple of years ago, I did um, I did a, tr- a track. I did a version of Sean or something. My um, favourite Kiss song. Oh, the, absolute tune. The, the bass line is awesome. Amazing track. Well, it's also one of the few Kiss tracks I actually know. Um, so I got asked to do. I did. I got. Start again. I got asked to do two tracks on a Kiss album. Uh, I did. I, sh- I chose Sean or something, and the other one was like a proper rocker called like The Oath or something. Maybe. Oh my God! Off, off the Elder. Off the Elder. Yeah. So, so I they were the two tracks that I chose. Obviously, one was a little bit more in my wheelhouse than the other. And then I was out in Arizona at the time with Alan and had a phone call off the guy who put together the the album. It was a, a kind of um, charity album for like palliative cancer care, mm. and he phoned me saying. I'm at a, a KISS conference, um, we're talking about the album, can I Skype you and like beam you onto the big screen and you talk about the thing? I was like, yep, yeah, crack on. And then literally kind of beamed in and the, the webcam I had was a view of the room with what seemed to be like a million people in it. And then I'm being fired questions like, so why did you choose that track? I'm like, to be honest, it's the only one I know. And they were like, okay, moving swiftly on. <laughs> Like <laughs> you, you clearly don't dress up in your spare time. Um, I'd like to point out I don't. Though <laughs> um, so you're only so, uh, a string of onions and a baguette short of being pseudo French, <laughs> aren't you? So let's let's be a little bit careful about that. Yeah, all right, but you know, consider this my uh, anti-Brexit T-shirt right. if you like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I'm fully aware, Ant, that you've got to go. I, I do. I need to dash. You've got something very interesting to be doing, I heard. So, yeah, let's not <laughs> yeah. talk about what I do in, 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 in the other parts of my life. He's, <laughs> he's dressing up as Gene Simmons, for anyone wondering. <laughs> so, I think we should probably wrap it up, and we'll we'll Absolutely. talk about your 1962 strap from the house clearance. 
when we do this again. So Absolutely. I, I'd just like to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for jumping in last minute. And oh, pleasure. I mean, it was it was like a horrible email to have to send that we we had recorded with Bernard Butler, mm-hmm. uh, and then Bernard sent me an email this week and went. Actually, you can't put that episode out yet. I've said things that aren't. I'm not allowed to say yet. Can you hold it? And it was like, shit, it's going to go out on Monday. Well, I've, I'm sure I've said many things I'm not allowed to say as well, but you, you crack on. <laughs> you, so, you've done a very we need good to get job. get this mixed and out. Yeah, well, you've done a very, very good job there of actually also um, uh, sort of... Uh, giving a bit of a lift to the Bernard one that's coming after this as well. So I'm loving your work there, Jace. That was like almost a professional <laughs> podcaster's piece of work there. And Chris, the one thing I would say is we need to stop arguing about relicking on guitars or we stop arguing about colours on guitars. We just need to focus our attentions to the shit show of a government we've got and put all our ire <laughs> and all our anger into questioning everything they're doing. And, and the rest of it's all by the wayside. Kiss fans should just, be able. I turn it to Jonathan Pye. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Probably, probably best not get started. <laughs> no, it's been lovely to meet you, and uh, and thanks very much for, for coming on. And we must do this again. Yeah, too right. Well, let me know when and where. And uh, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Perfect. Thank you. So it's not the end. Obviously, it's the end of the chat with Chris, but it's not the end because we thought we'd have a little regroup and, and uh, do a bit of housekeeping, actually. Um, yes. Pick up on the bits we forgot uh, while we were while we were talking to Chris. But uh, first and foremost, we need to say thank you to Focus Right, don't we? Because we uh, do. Thank you, Focus Right. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for for constantly emailing me and reminding me that I've forgotten to send you the stuff again. Uh, I, I'm so glad that you're on it, and I'm not. They're they're lovely, aren't they? They're just they're just fab. Um, they are. In fact, I've got a meeting with them on Wednesday. I say meeting. I mean coffee. I'm meeting them for coffee yeah. on Wednesday. Cool. Um, so yes, lovely people. Uh, but we didn't get a chance to, to say it in the episode. So thanks, thanks again. Uh, you're just lovely. Uh, and obviously, Chris, what a star for 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 jumping in at pretty much a moment's notice. He was. I mean, it was. I mean, we've recorded a great episode with Bernard Butler. Um, really good. Uh, and then uh, he told us loads of stuff about what's coming up in the world of Bernard Butler, uh, and then said, oh, "I'm really sorry, you can't use it. Um, I'm embargoed by the record company. Um, it's going to be a few more weeks before you can put the episode out, which was which is absolutely fine, and I completely get that. The issue then was we'd only got a couple of days to try and get a podcast done, recorded and edited for." Monday morning, and we've used our we've used our Euros excuse. We use the Euros as an excuse for being a couple of weeks out and missing an episode completely. Yes, uh, and and the, and neither of us like the open enough to use that as an excuse. So, <laughs> no. so so we had to really pull a finger out and do one. And do one, yeah. And and uh, you know we've got other people lined up as well. Um, we've got uh, another guy that's coming has agreed to come on, who unfortunately has managed to injure himself quite seriously. So yes. that's been put off by a month or so. So you know um, they are there. It just kind of threw a spanner in the works, really. And we're starting to think about number fifty, aren't we? I can't we believe are because it. Bernard will be number forty. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's really funny because. Uh, We've been doing this for so long now. I've just paid all of the bills again for the next 12 months. I've been able to put them onto SoundCloud Pro and stuff like that. So it, oh. 
Who'd have thought it, eh? <laughs> I never thought we'd get to 10, I, let alone I, I, 40. No, no. And we're now looking at 50, aren't we? Which yeah. means we really ought to go back to Keith Scott, didn't we? We've got, how the hell well, are we going to sort that? Yeah, okay. I, I'm going to get on that um, next week. I'm going to oh. try and get Keith Scott. Um, oh, I uh, should also say hello to Ian as well. Mr. Sloan. Um, Mr. Sloan. Uh, who very kindly said to me about six months ago, if you ever want pedal steel putting on a track, just let me know. Right. And uh, I messaged him last week and I went, were you serious about putting pedal steel on the track if I ever wanted it? And he was like, yeah. So I sent him up the track um, last week. Right. But you've not, no, you've, ex- you've not had it back yet? No, not had it back yet. I mean, he's, what are you thinking for then? <laughs> his email to me was great. He said, um, do you want to give me some advice of where you want the pedal steel to come in or do you just want me to wank all over it uh, <laughs> and then you can edit it? And I was just like, yeah, let's just go for the latter. Oh, we'll full on jizz. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Oh, brilliant. So, oh, I am. Cheers, I am. I am. That'd be cool. Right, we'll, we'll toddle off because it's actually, it's actually Sunday evening. It's nearly quarter past six. It's going out in the morning. I've got to do a little bit of twi- tinkering with it. Yeah, sorry. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> well, okay, that's it then. And um, enjoy, Chris. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Bernard, next time round. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, if the embargo date has passed by that yeah. point. You could all be back in lockdown by then. No, don't. Don't. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 